we're hoping that this just really develops that conversation piece for people and as, as a result people will take action so that these ideas that we're going to be blossoming at this at this symposium will become reality this is defender radio I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, brought to you by the Fur Bears. It's a rainy day here in southern Ontario, and we're seeing all kinds of changes in weather right across Canada. And that's the weak segue I'm going to use to bring up the topic of paradigm shifts. We've long looked at wildlife management in very specific ways, namely through the lens of the North American model of wildlife conservation. As new science on issues such as climate change, urban development and growth, human-wildlife interactions, and rehabilitation and coexistence emerges, this model becomes more and more outdated and arguably inappropriate. It's time for a change. And that's the goal of an exciting conference happening in Alberta this November. Wilderness Wildlife and Human Interaction – Changing the Paradigm is being hosted by the Cochrane Ecological Institute at the Cochrane Ranch House on November 10th. With an impressive lineup of speakers, including scientists, advocates, and rehabilitators, it is surely an event that could help shift the paradigm. But rather than hear me talk about it, let's get into the interview and hear from Lisa Dahlside, an organizer of the event, biologist, bear hero, and volunteer with the Cochrane Ecological Institute. Cochrane Ecological Institute is hosting an event that looks just absolutely thrilling to be at. Uh, so why don't we, at, like right away, who's going to be there? When is it? Where is it? How do people come? All right. Well, it's November 10th. It's at the Cochrane Ranch House. Uh, tickets are available online. You can either visit our website at CochraneResearchInstitute.com or go to the CEI Cochrane Ecological Institute Facebook page. Um, or, or just like click on, I'm sure, a link that you're going to have provided on yeah. this uh, podcast as well. And so you can get tickets. Tickets are $40. It's a full-day event, so the doors open at 8 a.m. And right at 8.30, we have a beautiful opening ceremony, which is uh, uh, led by Francis First Charger. And he's a member of the Blood Tribe, and he has a, conducted our opening ceremony for the past two years at our event as well. This is our third annual event. Um, Ken Weagle, who is our, our one of our owners and operators of the Cochrane Research Institute, he's going to be uh, introducing then after that why why this why a paradigm shift is even needed in landscape and wildlife management. So this is something that we've all been focusing on for for decades in mm-hmm. our thought in our thought process, and and it's something that's really coming to light that that it's not just. Um, an idea that that maybe we need a paradigm shift. It's that we need a paradigm shift. Little Leroy, little bear, Leroy, little bear. Sorry, and Dan Fox, also from the Blood Tribe, will be talking about the First Nations perspective of the environment. So addressing the cultural and the spiritual perspectives and the uses and values. So that will be a really interesting talk. Um, we've also got Mar- Marcelo Decintio speaking, and he's an author. Um, he doesn't really write about wildlife and conservation issues, so he was really surprised and taken back when we asked him to speak. But he does write about 
the human connection to the landscape. And we think that's a really important perspective to be thought of in this conversation. So he's going to be presenting. We've got Dr. Victoria Lekasik talking, and she's from the University of Calgary. Uh, she's been focusing her career on wolf and coyote management, which we all are fully aware of, if you're paying any attention anyway, is uh, really poor management. It's um, completely unethical, completely not based in science, um, and unacceptable. So she's going to be addressing some of those issues. I'll be speaking. Um, I'm going to be talking about um, bears and how that's sort of like a case study to, to show these uh, flaws in our system of wildlife management. You do have some experience with that. I do have some experience, yeah. <laughs> and and a lot of people, too, they're very interested in what's going on with um, with Charlie and Masqua, our little cubs mm-hmm. that we've got rehabilitating at the CEI. So there'll be some updates along with that as well. Um, Max Foron is speaking. He's from the University of Calgary, and... I'm like, this is the talk that I'm personally most excited about because I'm just in the midst of reading his book. So he's recently published a book called The Subjugation of Canadian Wildlife, Failures of Principle and Policy. This is a really hard-hitting book. Yeah. Like his his um, reference list is like almost as long as the book itself. So it's all really, every statement that he makes is strongly supported uh, with examples and it's and it shows a complete failure in in what's been going on in the last you know couple centuries with wildlife and landscape management and clearly if if the north american model for wild for wildlife conservation worked then we wouldn't have such a extensive list of endangered species and threatened species and and a multitude of of uh, cumulative effects on the landscape. So it, it's not working, and I think he's going to be really highlighting those issues. Um, Jody Allaire from Bird Studies Canada is going to be talking. So this might be a little bit of a lighter, so we'll go from like Max Foron, and, and uh, everybody will be really hard hit in the gut with uh, what's actually happening here, and then we can lighten it up a bit with Jody Allaire. He's um, a world-renowned expert with uh, birding, and he's going to be talking about the value of birds. Uh, looking at the ecological and the economic impacts of bird watching, which is like the fastest growing and uh, one of the fastest growing sports, if you want to call it that, and also, you know, a huge, a huge benefiter to the economics of of our of our society. Uh, then we've also got we've got some photographers that have been very active in our past symposiums. Uh, they own a company called Back to Nature, where you can go and it's an ecotourism company, and you can go and uh, take some photos with them. But they've been really disturbed lately because there's a new gravel pit that's right by their property. And it's uh, really disturbing them and really opening their eyes on on what needs to be done um, to mitigate gravel pits. And, um, and, and through their photography, they can really help, they're finding they can really help connect people to this issue that sometimes is overlooked. Gravel pits are pretty nasty, so, um, so they'll, they'll be addressing that. And then we're super excited, too, because we've got Dr. Christina Eisenberg. She's coming up from the United States. She's with Earthwatch Institute. And she's going to be talking about wildlife and landscape, um, discussing a community-based restoration of relationships and ecosystems that will honor humans and the landscape and the wildlife that are in them. So that will be a really nice talk. She's uh, quite an established author, so we'll also have her books on sale there, and people can probably pick up a book and get her to sign it, too. 
And I'm also super pumped because Dr. Paul Paquette from the Raincoast Conservation Foundation is is uh, scheduled to come. We're hoping he can make it. There is a chance he might not be able to. We'll know closer to the date. But he's going to be addressing those flaws in the North American model of wildlife conservation. And uh, he's, you know, he's been one of my heroes for decades because I'm a wolf nut and he's a wolf biologist, a very famous wolf biologist. So I'm super pumped about that. And that is our, our speaker lineup there. We'll also get to hear from Cleo Smeaton. She'll do some closing remarks, and she is the owner and operator of the Cochrane Ecological Institute. And, you know, Cleo, Cleo here in Calgary, she's uh, maybe not recognized as being like a really famous person, but worldwide, um, internationally, she is very famous. And there's people from all over the world that recognize that, and, and she's got a lot of value and things that she can contribute uh, to this discussion for sure. It sounds like it's going to be a pretty incredible day. Uh, and Max Ferran, I actually had on the show. Um, I think in the it's it's yeah. it's hard for me because I'm thinking calendar dates, but actual episodes. It was only several episodes ago. Um, mm-hmm. It was several months ago for me. But uh, if if you go yeah. through your iTunes list, it wasn't too long ago. And he's a, an yeah. incredible speaker, just one on one. So I imagine if you put him up in front of a group, he'll just be outstanding. Um, he's oh, a brilliant yeah. man. Uh, now the, the impetus for this conference, you and I spoke very briefly about this when you first launched it is Mm -hmm. a very interesting conversation. Why is, why do you feel the need to have this type of conversation with, um, all of these experts and bringing together wildlife advocates and lovers and people in the field? What is happening that really has driven the need for this conversation? Well, you know, it's nothing that's really new that's happening. Like we've been, we've been seeing this rapid decline in, in the integrity of our ecosystems for quite some time. Uh, but I think, I think that what's really bringing the conversation to the forefront is the fact that people are really paying attention and they're seeing that these are huge, huge issues and it's affecting them personally. Um, for, for example, a lot of people are suffering ecological grief and, uh, and, it's, and it's, hard, it's causing hardship for their day-to-day lives. And, and so we, we need to start discussing it more so that we can start taking more action. And if people can understand, sometimes it seems like such a heavy topic. People maybe try to retreat and they're not paying as much attention because it's so hard to, mm-hmm. to sort of grasp. But if people can start talking about it and, and having these conversations and these discussions, then uh, we feel that it's going to bring change just just because of that conversation, creating awareness around it. And you mentioned the uh, North American model of wildlife conservation, which is it, it's considered by many the way to do wildlife management. But there are a yeah. growing number of people, and that includes um, you know, highly educated people like yourselves, uh, the professional researchers, and even me, just an advocate with, with a bit of interest. Uh, when you read it, you notice that the whole thing is based around the idea that people need to use animals. Uh, that's really kind of like the primary. It's If we don't use them, bad things will happen. And therefore, we have a responsibility to control everything. But it also ignores, as you mentioned uh, very early on, 
all of these small endangered species, it doesn't focus on them. It focuses very specifically on, I'd say, game animals. Uh, so you, your yeah. deer, your moose, uh, caribou, bears, uh, animals like that that are very popular for hunting. And it's fascinating because that remains the model for how we manage everything, even though uh, purely just from you know landmass, the animals it represents are a tiny fraction of the wildlife that's out there, not including habitat and plant life and everything else. Uh, yeah. is, is, is that part of what you're going to be looking at? Is this the sort of big idea that this is the way we do it and there may be an inherent flaw in it? Yeah, most definitely. Like, yeah, the the animals that are quote unquote managed are just the ones that have this um, sort of economic contribution of being a resource in in our society, and 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 these other ones that that uh, you know are just as important to the ecosystems. They're not managed because they don't have that economic value. So mm-hmm. it's uh, and when you look at the seven principles of the North American model, it's the language that is used in those principles, that's the flaw right away. Like you see it, like right away when you start reading it, it's like they are resources and, and, um, and it's just, it's, it's not right. And this is what we have to start changing. And I believe, I strongly believe that if we stop treating animals as resources, that, that their populations and the landscape and our environment will improve. Um, I'm not saying that we should stop hunting. I'm not opposed to to hunters that are eating their food and whatnot. I am a tr- opposed to trophy hunting for sure, and I see that as a big flaw. But but we just have to start looking at it from a different framework, from a different position, and and I think that things will definitely improve for them. What are the takeaways people will be able to get from this event? I know that's something we talk a lot about when we're. Uh doing abstracts to go speak at conferences and things are the takeaways. And I think that's something people like to hear too is, you know, these are going to be great speakers, but what am I really going to sort of get? What am I going to walk away knowing? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, my best friend's mom used to, used to always say this to us, education is power. So you will be, you will be getting a lot of education at this event. It's obviously it's jam packed with some really high level speakers presenting, uh, and and I think that education there is is that knowledge that people can walk away with. Our hope is that that will just sort of bubble up inside of them and motivate them to take some action. Write some letters to their to their MLA. Maybe go meet with their MLA. Talk about these issues. We have an election coming up here in Alberta as well in 2019. And and I think that like I think this should be election platform for for all of our parties they should be talking about uh wildlife and wildlife welfare issues and and how we're managing our landscape and and these things are often ignored especially you know when we're just talking about pipelines here in alberta so we need to be we need to be choosing our candidates according to what their perspective is on these issues I think anyway. <laughs> so we're hoping that we're hoping that this just really, you know, develops that conversation piece for people and and as a result people will take action so that these ideas that we're going to be blossoming at this at this symposium will become reality. Let's get an update on the bear cubs. 
Um, so the the listeners will know you from talking about um, uh, Russell, I believe his name was, uh, was the, mm-hmm. the orphan bear cub uh, that was out and about last year. Uh, and there's also been two bear cubs that were kind of the center of some controversy this year as they, uh, the Cochrane Ecological Institute uh, finally, uh, uh, in large part due to your efforts uh, and the group you're working with, was able to get the Alberta government to overturn this ridiculous policy of not rehabilitating black bear cubs. Uh, and now you've got two in care and wanted to keep them over winter to make sure they were big enough to be able to get out and be successful in the spring. And there was a big argument going on about whether or not this was acceptable uh, for some reason. Again, I don't understand why Alberta Environment and Parks has fought so hard on some of these issues. Uh, So the decision was overturned. uh, So the Cubs are staying in care. Uh, So how are they doing? They're doing great. They're doing really great. Um, I just saw a video of them yesterday because I never see them. They they are in a four and a half acre enclosure. Uh, people just don't see them. And if you do, and if somebody does catch a glimpse of them, they usually just retreat up a tree, and then you can't see them anymore. So we've got some some trail cams that are set up throughout the enclosure. And lately, the only videos that we've been capturing are in the night. Um, and you can see you can see as they're eating the crab apples, which we've been getting so many donations of. Thank you so much to everybody. Uh, they're just they're totally pudgy. Charlie especially, he's really fat, so uh, they're definitely gaining that weight for the hibernation. But they but they are the size of of an average cub. They're maybe a little bit fatter than an average cub of their age, but for release, they're supposed to be. Uh, one and a half to two times the size of a cub of their mm. age. And so that's where they were lacking. So we're, we're very grateful that Alberta Environment and Parks changed their stance and is allowing them to overwinter because it will give them a, a huge um, increase in success for survival being released at a later date. And so, yeah, they're, they're doing really good. Um, our weather is, has uh, really improved here in Alberta. So so they're probably not going to be hibernating anytime soon with the with the upcoming forecast. Um, but their food will be tapered down, and um, and they will be getting drowsy at some point here. And they and Ken at the CEI, he's just finishing the touches on their their hibernaculum. So it's a really I was there yesterday checking it out, and um, it, it's a really nice den site that den uh, portable. Um, human manufactured den that they've got it's insulated and there's plenty of room for Masco and Charlie to cuddle up together in there and have a great sleep throughout the winter so um, obviously they won't have any encounters with humans while they're hibernating so this this thought that Alberta Environment and Parks had that they're going to have an increased chance of habituation during that season it seemed really crazy to us because they don't see people they're (laughs) in a den sleeping but our enclosures are so big and so different. They're very natural. Um, when you're, when those bears are up in a tree and looking out across the landscape, they just see forest for as far as they can see. That's wonderful. Um, some, and some grasslands and a wetland. And so they're, they're not seeing houses and, and people and vehicles and, and, and whatnot. So it's, it's a much different um, rehabilitation setting than what some of the other facilities across North America have. And so we're really not that concerned about the habituation aspect because they're not amongst the people. They're not, they're not seeing people. And, and we feel that, that 
the experience of the CEI rehabilitating bears since the 1980s, but they're going to be successful. We, we really hope that we can continue working in a positive partnership with Alberta Environment and Parks to, to ensure that success. And because you said nice things, I am also going to remain positive and not say what I think about Alberta Environment and Parks. And I know they listen to this, actually. We, uh, we do know that. So, uh, hello, Alberta Environment and Parks. I'm not saying anything mean about you today because of Lisa. Um, I had a brilliant question lined up. I'm not having a good morning uh, with questions. I'm going to keep this part in. So everyone knows I'm I'm cutting out probably two to three spots where my mind has just gone completely blank because um, I'm <laughs> super professional. I could talk. I'll talk. I'll talk a little bit about the bear thing if okay. you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. Let's that. hear about that. Um, so my my uh, my talk at the symposium is titled "The Face of Policy," and and when I'm thinking about this, when I envision what these faces are, it's it starts off. The first vision is Bear 148. So a famous grizzly bear in the Bow Valley Corridor uh, who captured the hearts of so many people just because she wasn't afraid of people and she'd be hanging around and lots of people got the chance to, to encounter her and to see her and fall in love with her. And uh, what what her face in, in terms of policy represents is that flawed trophy hunt. So she was relocated because of her non-fear of humans and... Um, crossed over the boundary you know bears don't know the boundaries Mm -hmm. of where there's hunting and no hunting and she went into bc where at the time there was still a grizzly bear hunt taking place and she was taken by um uh, there's an outfitter that was even leading the group and she was taken by a trophy hunter and her life was lost and it was a huge impact on people so her her presence really brought a huge community of people together showing their appreciation and their love for her. And her death resulted in a massive outrage from all of these people. And that outrage is what leads to action. Um, and, now, and now we don't have, not just because of her, because of a lot of other people and a lot of other bears, we don't have the grizzly bear hunt in BC anymore, which is huge success. I wish it came a lot sooner. But, but she really got a group of people together. And then Russell, or no, then we had the three black bear cubs that were orphaned in Banff. And if they had been orphaned in in Alberta's provincial property lands, they would have been shot by Alberta Environment and Parks and Fish and Wildlife, but they were on federal land, thank goodness. Uh, and it really, those three faces of, of those three cubs really shone light on the failure of the policy that bans wildlife, bans wildlife rehab for many species, bears included. Um, and so that just that was a story that was uh, going on since April 1st, 2017 is when they were found. And it just, you know, really shone light on on this flawed system that we're not allowing bear rehab when everywhere else does. And then, of course, Russell came and and he was injured, suffering on the side of the highway with with hundreds of, of onlookers every day watching him suffer. And and that was that was really hard hitting for people, and and so those those bears they really started to pave the road for change. Um, I know a lot of people like to say, oh, the CEI, that you guys did so much work, and then people give me a lot of credit, and I, and I'm very grateful for it. But we've been working on on this change since 2010 when the ban first came in place, 
and there really wasn't that much attention paid paid to it no matter how like I spoke to thousands of people educating them on this issue and it wasn't until those bears faces you know became well known and people got to know the issues it was through those individuals um, that reflected the need for the change in policy and so Thankfully, we've got that change, and now we've got two more little faces, Masqua and Charlie, as being the first bears be allowed to be rehabilitated in the province since since the ban uh, was lifted, and and they're facing so many challenges as well with with policy and and draft protocols and different opinions, and it's and. And, and we're just hoping that that good continues to start to come and that this change continues to progress and that the science is, is recognized and that the, the experts who have been you know, rehabilitating bears for decades and decades, that they get recognized and their expertise is, is really acknowledged and respected. So those are really the faces of, of the policy, I think, in my view. I often talk about change in in culture in society and people will point to that one moment when everything changed and it's funny to me uh when you look at it sort of from when you try and step back and look at it in a big picture and i think what you just said really summarizes it is we all look and we see this one little bear cub that was sick that needed help that you couldn't help um that really angered people upset people and rallied people to this cause and I think probably the the coverage of this issue is what eventually led to enough attention to push the issue over the edge and get change to happen. But as you've said, yeah. it wasn't this one issue. It has been a long time in the making. And that was just the final, final little bit to get over that, that precipice and affect change. And I think it's so important for people to hear that story because it often feels like we'll never have change that we want. Whatever our, our issue is, whether you are working on poverty or mental health or drug use or, um, you know, the Me Too movement on Black Lives Matters, it, it always feels like we're just, we're pushing, we're pushing, we're pushing, and we're not quite there yet. But when we push and we push and we push and we just keep gathering more people and we keep showing that there's a problem and we keep showing that there's a solution, eventually there will be that one little bear cub in a field that gets us yeah. over the edge and makes the change yeah. happen. Uh, so yeah. while I appreciate you saying it's not just you, it's not just CEI, it's not just your, the group of folks you've been working with, you're the ones who have been pushing the issue for years and not backing down so that when the time came, people like me had a resource to say, let's talk about this issue uh, so that the media had someone to go to so that there was this example and this body of evidence and work that had already been done. So a solution was achievable. So I don't think that should ever be dismissed. And I think it's a very important lesson for everyone uh, to really examine. So you should be very proud of your involvement in that. Um, and, uh, and that's why you are being recognized at the Clements Awards. Uh, and if you'd like to learn more about that, go to thefurbears.com slash Clements. Um, John Marius, our keynote speaker, um, on that one, but we're talking about your event. So we're going to wrap up and again, go back over people who want to come to this amazing event in November. Uh, what do they do? How do they do it? Well, if, 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 you, if, 
people are not, you know, savvy with uh, the internet or or don't want to purchase a ticket online, they can actually go in Pages of Kensington, a bookstore, a really valued prize bookstore here in Calgary. They have some tickets available. Some you can go with forty bucks and buy a ticket over there, pick up a book on the way too, or you can head down to Inglewood, Inglewood Florist. Um, they have some tickets available too, so you can pick up a bouquet and maybe a really nice coffee and a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> and as well as our favorite vegan restaurant in uh, in Bragg Creek, the heart, the heart of Bragg Creek as well has tickets available for sale. So there's a so there's a variety of ways of uh, of getting those tickets. You can also buy a ticket at the door unless our event sells out. So I do encourage people to try to get a ticket prior. Um, but but go to our our Facebook page, CEI, Cochrane Ecological Institute, uh, or to our website for CochraneResearchInstitute.com, and you can get the links to our tickets there. And it's also, if you don't really want to come and listen to all the speakers, but you kind of want to come and have some conversation and some discussion, we also have an art show and sale featuring sculpture artists from the province and there's going to be some really cool sculptures a lot of them are wildlife based sculptures but some of them are just sculptures that connect people to the landscape Um, and those will be available to see Uh, we'll have some different booths including the fur bears booth I will set that up for you guys (laughs) (laughs) and so um, we'll have lots of information there available um, for people to take and for people to have that conversation that we are truly trying to hold space for. To book your tickets, go to CochraneEcologicalInstitute.org. Look them up on Facebook or follow the links in this week's show notes and blog at thefurbears.com. I want to thank Lisa and the team she works with for their tireless efforts to advocate and support the wildlife of Alberta, as well as their willingness to answer my questions. And, of course, I want to thank all of you for listening. Remember to follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Defender Radio and on Instagram at Howie Michael to stay up to date on the show, hear about contests and really bad puns, and see adorable pictures of JJ the Hamilton Hound. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio reminding you to stay informed and stay strong. (laughs) 